Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 132nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that doesn't buy counterfeit cards, followers, or arguments. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Single and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGBrace.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. We're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. We are going to stumble over that intro until we remember to change the names on it to the correct ones. <laughs> uh, how are you this evening, James? Very good. Travis, very, very good. How are you? All right. Doing... Doing just fine. Um, okay. Uh, oh, shoot. Stupid thing took over my screen. Uh, <clears throat> Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Uh, well, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have seen the largest increases in price recently. Segment two, we will look at the cards to watch, cards that have increased the most in price uh, over the last, or, oh my God, (laughs) we are on the ball tonight. Segment two is cards to watch, cards James and I think will rise in price. Segment three, metagame we can review. We have Grand Prix, LA, and Providence, um, all as well as the Modern Mocks, and maybe we'll touch on uh, Zach Elsek's latest combo deck. And finally, topic of the week. Let's go with counterfeits. Sure, why not? We'll go down that road probably. Hopefully give you guys a little bit of information, a little bit of of a way to think about this uh, that might be missing from some of the greater conversation that you're hearing out there today. So we'll start off our week segment one. Top movers is uh, Soothsane out of Mercadian Masks. It is a non-foil copies $4 to about $8. Soothsane is an enchantment that does some kind of nifty stuff. You can uh, pay five to shuffle your library or pay X to scry X. Or I guess it's not scry X. Just look at the top X and then put them back in any order. Um, I'm guessing this is a Minotaur, right? Like it's got some mild EDH man to begin with. But uh, that seems like it's probably the place that that would fit in the best at the moment since it allows you to just change the top of your deck at will. Am I, am I right in assuming this has never had a reprint? Uh, I don't believe so. No, it has not. No, no, it has not. So, yeah, I mean, this could be people th- assuming that it will show up in that deck. Um, I'm not convinced that it's an auto shoe in or that anybody's going to be all that excited about it. Um, it could also just be this that this is a super old card that sees like modest casual demand. And because it's never been reprinted and this was like 15 years ago that that it first saw printing, the market has just finally run out of copies. And not that it's the kind of thing that would show up in bulk relatively frequently, but not the kind of thing people would think to bring in for to trade into a buy list. No, no, no one's ever going to notice this card in bulk. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a breaking bulk pick. Mm. There you go. Uh, I don't know if you can count rares though. Is is breaking bulk trademarked? Uh, I don't know. I doubt I'll, it. We'll have to check with DJ. <laughs> All right. So next on the list, we got Soldevi Excavations, a reserved list land from Alliances. 
relatively ignored for years and years and years. But as people have been targeting the reserve list cards, this thing has already popped up from a couple of bucks up to like 10. And now it's in theory moving from 10 to 20. Um, they're never printing anymore. Um, so the fact that hardly anybody ever plays this is probably uh, not really the driving force. As with most of the reserve list stuff, this is on the supply side almost purely. Yeah, nobody nobody needs this card. Um, wait, wait. I mean, wait. It's, it's registered in a thousand decks in EDH. It, it, this allows you to tap, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card on the bottom of your library. So it's essentially a little scry engine that requires you uh, to sack and untap land. So, I mean, if Wind Grace had included blue, then I might suggest that people were fooling around with that. But otherwise, I don't see any pressing demand for the card. No, that's fair. I, I was thinking, I always get Soldavia Excavations with uh, Sorrow's Path confused. Um, yeah, Soldavia Excavations has some minor utility. Following that is Keeper of the Keys, Foils out of Conspiracy, Take the Crown. Um, two and change up to about five. This should be on the back of Yuriko. I mentioned this on the cast last week, but it was not like an official pick. Um, and I hadn't read about it anywhere, but it is a card that I, I personally expect. I've got a good bunch of them myself stashed away. Um, I think Keeper of the Keys is a... If you're playing Yuriko, I can't see building it without this card. Yeah, this one, this one does actually seem like a good fit there. And there are some other commanders that care about creatures being unblocked. So and and there will be for more in the future. So it's not like the highest level of open ended synergy you could ever want, but you're also not likely likely to see a reprint of Keeper of Keys anytime soon. This isn't from the original Conspiracy. It's from Conspiracy Take the Crown. That wasn't that long ago. So give this two, five, seven years before you ever see it again. And if the foils are even modestly in demand, it might be the kind of thing you hang on to for a little while. But the the ramp is super steep with the remaining listings on TCG Player. You see a couple at three dollars, four dollars, five dollars, then it's ten dollars, then it's twenty. So these foils could easily post up over fifteen, twenty, twenty five in the next three to six months and stay there for ages. Yeah, well, I didn't really expect them to hit twenty five, but uh, I sure would be happy if they did. <laughs> that would, I don't know, half my cart. <laughs> I mean, it really depends like how popular Yuriko and enduring Yuriko ends up. Um, the thing with most new commanders, as we've discussed several times, is that, you know, any given set will have something like five to seven potential new commanders. A couple of those are going to take hold in the top 25 or 30 and stay there for a while. But some of them will be will drive the prices on cards for, you know, two weeks to three months. And then and then everything will kind of retrace as people lose interest and move on to the next new thing. Right. Uh, following Keeper Keys is Oriox Salvagers out of Fifth Dawn Foils from the Fifth Dawn Foils, so the original ones. Uh, just under five bucks, up to about ten for a little double up. Um, I think this is part. Is this part of one of the modern combos? Is that where we're getting this from? Uh, I mean, it's certainly there are certainly eggs related combos that that loop cheap artifacts in modern, but I don't, I'm not aware of any of them doing anything recently. Okay, so yeah, I mean that's definitely where it gets played for the most part. I also don't see this as being a component in any of the new commander decks. Um, you know, because all the artifact stuff was blue-red this time around, not white. So I guess if I had to take a shot, it would be something in modern. <clears throat> if it showed up on stream or something like that, and we missed it. Yeah, the, the general that runs it most often is Brea, but even that's like a very modest um, reportage of, of decks on EDH, right? Yeah, so we'll go with uh, Mystery Cabal on that one. Oh, and Fifth on Foils are just super old and i think this is another card where i don't know if we've ever seen a reprint uh we did it was in modern masters was it different art are those uh are those foils 
sold out? They're, uh, I don't know. Let's do a time warp on the recording here. Yep, those foils are almost sold out as well. So it's not just original printings. There must be actual latent demand if we've seen both. But of course, Modern Masters was 2013. That's five years ago. So it's that's no short stone's throw from where we are anyway. Yeah, something must. this must have shown up someplace that we just missed. And also, Modern Masters was a tremendously underprinted set versus the Masters sets of the last couple of years. So a rare in Modern Masters is easily equivalent to a mythic in an average fall set. Yeah, it's easy to forget that the first Modern Masters was so much tighter on supply than the follow-up. Um, I remember being awestruck that I found a couple boxes on the shelf <clears throat> at 220 bucks a box uh, at one of my local stores. Meanwhile, like Modern Masters 2 was like, oh, no, I'll only take two boxes. I don't need the other 25 you've got. That was a good hunt. I enjoyed that hunt. <laughs> that, that was that was tough product to find. I tracked down a judge that was flying back from Japan that had Japanese product. Um yeah, it was a good good time all around. <laughs> the uh, but yeah, I think like it's not surprising to me that given that's the only reprint we've seen in Fifth Dawn was quite some time ago. Um, no, even modest demand from casuals, EDH, and and modern fringe players combined would be enough to drain it over that time span. Yeah, and I mean, there people play Bomberman and Legacy, so like that could be what it is. Maybe somebody played that recently. <clears throat> sure. Um, after that is uh, Conspiracy, the card Conspiracy from the uh, Time Shifted sheet in Time Spiral. Uh, Non-foils, about four and change, up to about ten. Uh, this is also for Yuriko because it makes all of your creatures into ninjas, which means all your other guys that are unblockable that could trigger your ninjutsu are now also ninjas, which trigger Yuriko's ability. So um, that's that's what that's for. <laughs> yep, makes sense. Then we've got Is It Signet from Modern Masters 2017. If you were paying attention, you would know that this was uh, a pretty easy snag, especially if you were just looking for a copy for your collection. Um, these were printed as commons or uncommons in Modern Masters 2017? Uh, that's a good question. Probably uncommon, right? Uncommon, take yeah. A look. Yeah, they were, un- uh, they were common in Commander 2018. Yeah, uh, so Ross. just just reprinted but no foils um so that modern masters 2017 printing is already in very short supply in fact <laughs> if you want an example of a page that should trigger a quote-unquote buyout um as as people think they understand the term there are four listings currently on dcg player one for 250 and then three for about six bucks once you buy those four cards this is gone and somebody's going to post a price of like 1999 on the next copy posted then a bunch of people on Twitter are going to claim that whoever bought those four copies is a scam artist and a back alley dealer and a buyout evil person and completely forget that the rest of this inventory drained naturally into the market. Uh, all of, <laughs> and, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. And the, guy, and, the, and, the, and the person that shows up and spends $12 to execute the quote unquote buyout um, really has no influence whatsoever on what's going on. Yeah. Also, I want to be that guy that you're complaining about, the evil wizard speculator. I'll take that. I'll take that mantle. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the signets are, con- are are forever useful. They are basically, depending on your colors, they are basically going to fit into your deck as naturally as a soul ring. And there's hardly any of these foils around. Um, 24,000 decks registered on EDH rec, which means there's probably more like two or 300,000 people playing these cards. 
and people EDH in, is increasingly the bulwark of foil demand for the entire hobby. So, you know, maybe take a look at uh, your local store cases and see if there's any underpriced foil signets from 2017 sitting around. Mm-hmm. Probably a nice little easy to pick a couple up that way. Uh, not set up a card. And I, guar- and I guarantee store. you, when we go check when we go check in on Europe, there's going to be sitting around like waiting to be picked yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Following that, we have Temporal Mastery, also out of Modern Masters 2017. The non-foils about a double up, ten, nine or ten to twenty twenty-one. Um, I would say this is a combination of uh, Yuriko and a Minotau. Um, Yuriko likes it because it's a huge, expensive spell that you get to flip with your ninjas, uh, but doesn't cost as much to cast. Meanwhile, a Minotau obviously it wants to play cards like this because it wants to play all of the. Uh, miracle cards so it's probably more minotaur honestly um but there you go and time walks excuse me have also always been popular regardless um they're a very popular casual type of card so temporal mastery would be insane if it weren't reprinted in modern masters 2017 so this is just sort of like getting back to where it would have been anyways Yeah, and this card's also a big deal in competitive commander and Teferi Temporal Archmage decks and Narset Enlightened Master decks, um, Cask Dissident Mage, Baral, like all of the broken ass blue spell based decks in variants of Commander are interested in the Temporal Mastery. And again, Modern Masters twenty seventeen rare foils are about the equivalent of probably a, a fall mythic foil. So, oh yeah, yeah, you know, a, a year and a yeah. half out. No big surprise. There's also some like latent miracles demand with people fooling around with it too. I would imagine in either modern. Yes, I was. There's always a couple people around the world playing with that deck in both formats and doing poor with it and convincing themselves otherwise. And I say this as someone who did it. (laughs) So (laughs) next on the list, Inkai Servant of Oni from from the Vault Twenty was one of Travis's picks last week. No big surprise, moving from five dollars to twelve dollars. Inkeyes is, again, useful in Yuriko and a shoe-in to be included there. There's a few different printings, and they have all been draining. Um, we've also got Kadoma's Reach foils from Champions of Kamigawa, which was a... Is it a was it originally a common or an common. uncommon? So, but that was still quite a long time ago. So those foils going from 7 to 18 um, on the back of Wind Grace um, being relatively popular coming out of the, last, the latest Commander 2018 iteration. Likewise, for Obnixilis Unshackled from Magic 2015, uh, a card that was essentially ignored at the time of its release, um, but foils have been proven to be useful in EDH and have recently gone from $12 or $13 to $30 plus. So that's a nice double up or triple up, depending on when you got in on them, if you happen to be sitting on any. Um, I'm pretty sure I have some non-foils sitting around that I'd love to see some movement on in the box of shame. Yeah, yeah, Obnixilis, uh seems like getting the non-foils to move there might be a little slower going, given yeah. uh, given that it's fairly new, but he is, he's good. Both Obnixiluses are good in EDH, actually. Um, the other one is good uh, in the uh, Lord Windgrace and uh, Gitrog Monster decks, because you just pile a bunch of lands in the play at once and shoot people. Right. Um Following that is Cleansing Meditation out of Torment. That's a card nobody's going to know, and that's okay. Non-foils, uh, a dollar to two fifty. Non-foils, I think, sold out at like two or three bucks too. Uh, this is for the Bant Enchantress deck. So this card is uh, three mana sorcery, destroy all enchantments, um, and it's white. 
And if you have it threshold, you return all of your enchantments to play. Nasty. Uh, so, so you blow up the everyone else's and you get yours back. Uh, Torment foils look cool, if I recall. Um, and I'm pretty sure I have one of these cleansing meditation foils sitting around. So I better dig that out and see if I can throw it up there. Yeah, worth finding. Mm-hmm. Then Aura of Silence, 10th edition foils, 10 to 30. I'm guessing this is probably also Bant Enchantress, but I'm not positive. Um, could also be because it's useful as a sideboard card in modern. I would assume it was one or one or both of those. Yeah, I think Commander Demand is much stronger than modern one here. This is in, actually in almost 12,000 decks on Commander, so it's not even the Enchantress deck. It's in all sorts of stuff. Xur, Daxos, Grand Arbiter, Aloro, Queen Marquesa, like all sorts of top commanders use this card. And the other thing is that it's been printed like five or six times, but um, Weatherlight didn't have foils. Commander 2015 didn't have foils. Um, the World Championship uh, versions are, are probably gold-bordered and therefore not legal with most playgroups. Um, and so the only foils that have ever been in packs were 10th edition foils. And then there was an F and M promo that's already over 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The card is useful in a million places. So, uh, not surprised to see it eventually see these copies finally move. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I think I'll take a look at in Europe and see if they've caught up to that. Uh, forbidden ritual from visions moving from a dollar to $3. That's almost certainly wind grace. Um, Stitch in Time, Guild Pack, Foils going from 15 to 50 in theory. This is the Take Another Turn card for one blue-red um, that I don't think's ever been reprinted in foil. Uh, no, I don't think so. You have to... I, wanted, I, I have a feeling it's seen a reprint, but I don't think it was foil. No, it's never had a reprint at oh, all. Um, I thought it showed up in an ancillary, like some kind of is it ancillary product or something, but nope. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Hmm. So that... that that foil has been left untended for quite some time. Um, I'm guessing it's in something like 3,000 EDH decks. Let's take a look. There was... 925. Okay. Yeah, there was also that uh, the coin flip card that showed up again in, like, what was it, Dominari or Magic 2019? We definitely... Oh, no, no. Battle Bond's got, Battle Bond's got the coin flip uh, part. Okay, so that's what it is. So I know there was a run on coin flip cards uh, when that came out. Yeah, I, I momentarily forgot about that, but that's, def- that's definitely probably the... Li- <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. probably. That's interesting. Um, that is the most likely driving force. Yeah. Moving right along. Purify from your Urza's Legacy. Foils moving from roughly about $4 to $12. Um, that one was probably driven by Bant Enchantress. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, Sky Shroud Poacher from Nemesis Foils moving from 5 to 17 is a little mystifying. This is the one that lets you search up elves. Um, not entirely clear why that would suddenly be on somebody's agenda, but I'm pretty sure that's the only foil printing we've ever seen of that card as well. Uh, yeah, probably, given that it's Nemesis. Uh, Keldon Firebombers, non-foils out of Prophecy. These uh, destroy all but three of people's lands, um, including your own. I, when they come into play, I assume this is for Windgrace because you can play these, blow up all the lands, and uh, with your floating mana, you play out. <clears throat> uh, what the heck is it? Splendid Reclamation, I think, and you put them all back in the play. So pretty rude thing to do in EDH, but an option. 
This also plays into the whole Gitrog monster sub-theme in Windgrace because there was a lot of red cards that interacted well with that card, but when Gitrog was your commander, right. you couldn't run them. But if, but if Windgrace is now your commander, then you get to take advantage of the third clause on Gitrog monster, which is whenever one or more lands are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. Um, so anytime you want to you exercise a symmetrical land destruction effect, you're, getting, you're drawing cards and you probably have some way to pull your lands back into play anyway, and you're putting partial Armageddon's against the rest of the board as a continuing taxation mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. Um, then Savage Thalid foils out of Time Spiral, you know, 50 cents to about $3. Um, probably Slimefoot, I kind of forgot about him, but that's likely with that is Savage Thalid is another one that makes, you know, fungi and Thalids and those types of things. Um, a Sporefoot type of card. So it was just a common in Time Spiral, relatively unassuming, but... Uh, and that's really the the only place I can imagine finding demand for this. The thing that happens when the first few cards tumble under the pressure from a new commander is that whoever made money on them thinks, well, you know, the next lowest hanging fruit on that tree is just to figure out the other cards in that deck. And they almost they quite frequently end up over playing their hand and getting into cards like this that are probably a few months too late to fully capitalize on. Things that go from fifty cents to three dollars are very tough to make money on, especially in a format where you buy one card at a time. Yes, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's I have many times in the past, and will continue to get caught by my own trap of buying way too many of these types of things and taking forever to sell them. Yeah. All right. So next we've got Limdal's Vault, which shows up in almost eight thousand EDH decks um, and is uh, a centerpiece of Aloro Ageless Ascetic. Uh, sealed decks if you got still got some of those sitting around i know i do um i definitely overbought that year's worth of commander sets i think i have two cases left <laughs> uh, i've just been sitting around doing nothing i it's almost certainly time to crack those and, and send them and buy list them because probably the only way i'm ever going to sell them uh yeah i mean you can reach a point where they become valuable in their um as sealed product right like they're they're appealing as a collector's item rather than the cards inside mm-hmm. but it doesn't not seem there yet. Like, yeah it doesn't seem like there's a huge demand for that type of stuff like you know if you go way back to the beginning of magic there's a lot of demand for for stuff that you could find sealed but that's so old and there's so few that it's hard to say whether that will really work out 20 years from now yeah i think it's more i you could see commander nostalgia and commander like commander specific collecting come to the forefront i would guess that that like fever pitch might be three to five years out depending on how well they manage the format you think that recent i would think it would be even longer because i'm thinking like oh i have the original sealed product of kalia and like all the cards are way cheaper now because they've all run reprinted several times but i have the original sealed one and it's value for being that type of thing valuable for me well that 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 the original sealed of that is valuable so sure the, the question is i guess does it example. apply to rando decks from yeah. each of 2013 and 2014 yeah I, I wouldn't think so not yet um it seems to be so far it seems to be very much about like which commander which deck is housing a very popular commander that's in the top 20 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so uh oppression is our final card of the week um seventh edition non-foils going from a dollar fifty to ten 
Um, we still don't know what's driving oppression other than that it is probably more valuable in Commander than um, its 1,500 decks or so recorded on EDH Rec would reflect. Yeah, it's it's curious. I, it's a carryover from last week. And I mean, it definitely seems like it's better than the numbers on EDH imply. Maybe a bunch of people decided to start playing it and the, it was a sudden surge across the format. Uh, so the lists on EDH haven't, Rec haven't caught up yet. Maybe it's just weird people doing weird things. I it's I don't know. Again, the only it's only got two printings: Saga and Seventh Edition, both relatively low uh, print <clears throat> runs. Um, and we haven't in Seventh was a decade plus ago, I would imagine. So, you know, but I I still don't see the the impetus in the demand side. So if anybody out there knows what it is, feel free to yell at us on Twitter and tell us. Yeah, if there's some aspect of this we're saying. All right, let's uh, let's move along with our life. Let's go to segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, James, you want to get us started? So the first thing on my radar this week is Villainous Wealth Foils, a card that was largely ignored in Standard when it was uh, available because the power level of that format was pretty high. That was Jace Finn's Prodigy era, um, Jeskai Black type stuff. Um, but Villainous Wealth... Um, foils can be still had for around three fit three to four dollars, depending on where you're picking them up. And um, supplies getting pretty low. It's got moderate EDH demand. It's not like a super major card in EDH, but any deck that can generate a lot of mana and happens to be in those in those colors can definitely get benefit, uh, major major benefit out of it. It can be a game winning card. Um, not quite top top tier, um, but. It's up there. If it's not a 10 out of 10 to win the game, it's like an 8 out of 10. Um, and it's really a supply side play. Um, I, I think you could end up sitting on these for three months, six months, maybe nine months. But sooner or later, inside the next 12 months, um, these aren't going to be available anymore. Any price under 10? No, no. I think um, <clears throat> this card's really awesome. It's basically the uh, like, uh, wait, what's the word for it? Oh, shoot. Uh, Genesis no, wave? Yes, but um drawing a blank. Uh the word for the wedge. Not Simic. Salt eye. It's a salt eye Genesis yeah. wave. Um right. yeah, and it's very, you exactly. know, and it's very popular in decks that are gonna be able to generate that type of mana, which is most of them. So I, I think a lot of people expected more out of this when it was when it initially came out, or at least saw and be like, this card would be really great. It's a shame it's a rare in cons of Tark here because there's going to be so many that we're not going to be able to make any money on it. Uh, but here we are, you know, enough time has finally passed that uh, the needle on that starting to move. So I really like foils of this at, you know, $3 or so. I tend to get excited about an EDH foil when there's like 5,000 decks on EDH rec that I've registered it. This one has 4,400, so it's getting pretty close. And it's it's played in Tassiker, Sidisi, Damia, Ramos, and the Mimeoplasm, and Moldratha, um, all of which tend to be able to generate you know large amounts of mana, depending on how they are constructed. Um, so yeah, Vilnos Wealth Foils, going to be hard to go wrong. This is one of those cases where because it's exclusively EDH, I don't think you want to be holding 20 copies, like you, unless your play is to buy list them um, and seek a double up or something. Um, kind of thing I would buy four or eight copies of and be happy to have them sitting around. Sure, sure. Um, all right. So my first card this week is Borb Rigmos Enraged. Uh, foil copies from Gate Crash. Uh, TCG is sold out, but there are other copies floating around out there. Not too many. But if you can snag these around $10 or so, 
maybe even up to like 12, uh, maybe 13. I think you're in pretty good shape. They are would have been great in get rog monster, but couldn't be played because he's got red in the mana cost. Now that we have Lord Windgrace, which is appearing to be quite popular, actually um, one of the more popular out of the the precons this year. I think it's mostly just because it's uh, get rog plus red. Um, he's going to be awesome there. So you've got gate crash, a mythic gate crash foil hasn't been reprinted, probably won't be reprinted in foil for a long time, if ever. Um, you know, if you're grabbing these at 10 bucks, I can easily see these cruising past $20, possibly even more. So, uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy those if you can find them at 10 bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I think Wind Grace is going to be enduring because it has a lot of open edits energy and it's going to, it not only did adding red to the Gitrog equation um, really strengthen that theme and all the associated sub themes. But anything they do with lands matters in the future will play right into it and just reinforce the the you know how many different forks um, you can go down with the deck and I think that's really why you know Atraxa stays at the top of the heap is because adding counters and proliferating at end of turn is is just so open ended. There's so many different ways you can take that, and that's what you're looking for when you want to figure out what's going to stay strong in Commander for a long yeah. period of time. Yeah. Um. Okay. What's your next card? So one of the other cards that uh, might be under under the radar for some people, but is you know a fairly big deal in, in EDH is Decimate. Um, downside of this card is you need to have multiple targets uh, in play and ready to be smashed. But for two red green as a sorcery, this lets you destroy an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a land. And given the configuration of the various new decks in Commander right now, there's very likely to be targets across from you, regardless of what shows up um, in your opponent's hands. Decimate foils were last seen in Conspiracy. Um, it's since also been printed in Commander, but of course not as a foil. So um, people looking to upgrade their copy, will you can get in right now in the 4 to $5 range, and I think you'll be able to get it out on the somewhere closer to 15 or 20 it's an 8,400 EDH deck, so uh, pretty confident that this one's going to get there. Yeah, this is a really widely played, uh, a very powerful card, um, and the Conspiracy Foils are running behind all the other ones. It's not going to stop being played anytime soon, so certainly uh, pretty appealing there. <clears throat> no arguments for me on that one. I have a uh, one of the old ones that I really like, the old Plane Shift ones, but really any of these sort of staple cards that when they get reprinted in foil uh if there hasn't been many in the past you know they kind of come out pretty low um like in the battle bonds or conspiracy type stuff but you wait a little while and they move up quite a bit as the, those get soaked back into the market which was starved for foils yeah i mean you're gonna see you're gonna have a lot of trouble gaining traction on the non-foils and i see this again and again with mgg finance writers they they talk about they talk about the non-foil only because it's more complex to consider the foil simultaneously. Um, Chaz does this a lot over at Star City Games. Um, and the thing about reprints is if you're reprinting into EDH, you really want to look... And you're in a situation where original printing was 15 years ago. Haven't seen the cards since. This is the first printing. It's going to get printed at an uncommon or rare or something. And so the non-foils aren't going to get anywhere because the demand's not that high. But there's only going to be really ever 50 or 60 copies of the foil, you know, print like pushed onto the major platforms because it's an ancillary product that you know, was probably bracketed by other sets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
we see it over and over again. Um, okay, so I will uh, give my second pick this week is Sword of the Meek. Um, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this card before, although it was an entirely different context at the time. Sword of the Meek is the artifact that if it's in your graveyard and a 1-1 comes into play, you can return Sword of the Meek from your graveyard attached to that creature. So it is used frequently in artifact-based combos because you sacrifice it and then you make a 1-1 and you return Sword and then you sacrifice Sword again. So you can just kind of go nuts with it. Um, <clears throat> Doctor Foundry is the common component that pairs with this. But we know uh, it was unbanned in Modern fairly recently. Uh, well, I, I shake that back. I guess it's not fairly recently. It was probably about a year ago now. Um, didn't take off. Never really gained any traction. Uh, but now, within the last week or so, Zach Elsick, who is a common combo aficionado in Modern, trotted out a new combo build, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. But sort of the Meek is a, is a component of that. And this has still only ever been printed in Future Sight, at least the foil tab. And I don't think it's ever been, right? No, still only Future Sight at all ever. So supply on this is very low. It also was a well-known and useful card for a while. So a lot of copies have already found their ways out of bulk and into the hands of like collectors and serious legacy, legacy players, vintage, what have you. So there's a lot more of these living in places that are unlikely to... Uh, surface if the card goes up in value. Um, so what's out there isn't going to is kind of what's out there for now. So if you when you're finding foils around twenty five to thirty dollars, you know I can't guarantee you that this latest combo deck is is what is going to push it. Uh, but it's a, if it is any legs, if it has any legs at all, it will send sort of the meek flying. You know foils will be sixty, seventy, eighty dollars because. Because the cards played as a four yeah, up in that deck. Yeah. Uh, so, and even without that taking off, I still think it's, you know, it has a pretty decent chance of becoming valuable. Anyway, it's just because it keeps getting older and it's still useful. And you never know when someone's going to figure out how to make Sword of the Meek good in this for, in uh, Modern and then off it'll go. When the Sword of the Meek Thopter Foundry combo came back online for Modern, people were trying to make it work in like Tezzeret Brews. And they were aggressively mediocre because the format just doesn't care about you incrementally being able to add thopters to the table. The format's too fast. Um, but this version of the combo deck um, can lean on that if the game goes long, but has ways of comboing off as early as turn two or three. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the thing about this card, um, as you touched on was, is that you're typically running two or three copies of thopper founder, but almost always four copies of this. Um, so between the two combo pieces, it's never the kind of thing you just run one copy of. Like you, you almost always want three or four, um, both parts of the combo. And so th th this part, having not been reprinted in a while, is a pretty big deal if, if there's any pressure on the supply whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be, <clears throat> and notably, this is in you in, uh, in both halves of the combo, right? Like because the deck uses essentially two separate combos and this is both of them. So. Yeah, it's always going to be there as a four of. Um, okay, so I, I can I can I can easily see these foils getting from twenty five to forty with any amount of pressure, um, even if it sees a reprint. If the reprint is like middle of next year or something, and in the interim this deck makes another top eight, 
you're going to have plenty of time to get out. So I, w- I wouldn't be buying up every foil I could find, but I think having a play set of them is probably a pretty solid place to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, frankly, just the whispers of this being good enough might be enough to push it up towards 40. And then if it turns out it actually is good, then it gets to, you know, 50 or 60. But he placed... Well, well, we'll have that conversation in a minute. What's your last card for the week? <laughs> yeah. uh, my last one this week is might be under people's radar. I cannot believe that 18 months out, I can still find a masterpiece worth buying. That just blows my mind. Noxious Gear Hulk is in 7,000 EDH decks. It's about to rotate. Um, the non-foil, the foil version, pack for, sorry, the pack foils are about five or six bucks. That's a steal for a foil mythic that's that heavily played in EDH already. Um, that already has, you know, is pushing for 10,000 decks on EDH rec within two years of its printing. Um, the masterpiece version could be had for under $40, but for a masterpiece that's going to, that sees that much play in EDH should not be $40. It is an easy midterm 80 to hundred dollar card. And it was probably overlooked in the last sweep of masterpiece buyouts, uh, in January, February of 2018. Um, definitely going to snap up you know, four or six copies of this and and look to sell them, say, a euro. Yeah, the masterpiece uh, uh, numbers on this are crazy. You know, 35 bucks, 40 bucks for something that's played that much. And I didn't realize Noxious Gearhawk was used that much. And I'm guessing most people don't didn't know that as well. Uh, so that's definitely uh, good information to have. And I got to tell you, the pack foils at $5 almost sound more appealing just because that seems like such a low price for a card that is so popular. To target like a triple up or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, going from five to yeah, 10 or 12 bucks, like wouldn't be, isn't hard to imagine. Yeah. I mean, is this, what? what's the new commander that lets you blink things in and out? Uh, a minute at how the, the Esper planeswalker. Right. I mean, this works there, right? Uh, probably. When it enters the battlefield, you destroy target creature. If a creature <clears throat> is destroyed this way, you gain life equal to its toughness. Yep. And so that works. And it's a five, four minute. Five four menace, and because it's an artifact creature, it's got all sorts of artifact synergies with the with the decks that that can run it. So, um, and again, it was just printed in Kaladesh. You're not going to see this reprinted for years. I mean, <laughs> the backlog for modern and EDH relevant cards is so big at this point. I don't think you have to have like any serious worry about anything that's less than five years old being a a likely target for reprint. No, no, they're. Uh... We were running at a deficit on uh, on that type of thing. You know, it's not they can't get through everything, and it'll definitely you'll def you'll lose some things. But uh, as long as you're pretty good about diversifying, you will be fine overall. Um, all right, so let's move on to segment three, our metagame week interview. Uh, there was Grand Prix LA and Grand Prix Providence, both standard. I don't really care about those. Do you? Is that something you feel the need to discuss? <laughs> I think it's interesting that this format, like people, I feel like people are pissy about where this format's at. It's been a lot of like complaining about things like Turbo Fog, but the format is, is not that narrow. Like, yeah, Turbo Fog, but there's, there's various control variants, mid-range variants, there's aggro variants, and we've got like a fog deck. I mean, that's about as good as standard ever gets. So, I mean, if, if people are, are still unhappy, with how standard gets solved, I think it's time for the magic community to start thinking about whether standard is just not a good format and jostle with wizards over some period of time to figure out what is a better entry level competitive format. What does it look like? What does it take? Why aren't the new staff members they added that are supposed to uh, be responsible for standard play experience being more successful 
<laughs> in in ensuring that that plays out the way they want to. I mean, we we're only in the last I think year have we seen the uh, initial results of those of that internal action. But if a year from now we're still having similar conversations, then I'm going to start to put a, que- a much stronger question mark um, on what that team is is doing, whether they've been properly empowered, you know, if their voice is being fully heard, and if it is, whether they've got the right people in in place on that team. Uh, your your perspective on this is curious because I I guess when I think about it, my thought isn't that they're doing that they're mishandling standard. It's rather like if you have a product uh, that's supposed to service this many people and it's, it has to cover, it's trying to cover so many bases and serve so many markets and types of players that maybe you're just never going to have people that are in love with it. Like maybe that's just not, yeah. maybe that's just not possible. Maybe this is as the the public reception of standard maybe is never going to be that much better than this because gamers are notorious for complaining all the time and then add into the fact that like standard is just trying to do a lot of work um so maybe this is just the best you can hope for and and it's a case and i guess what by extension you're suggesting that whatever they would replace it with would likely have similar problems because of the same whether factors. there's similar problems or just problems in general like people would still find something to be upset and complain about and angry about because essentially magic's not free and how dare they one of the interesting things here is what could happen down the road with magic if um, a counterfeiting became a major problem and b digital uh, ink um, and the ability to have basically cyber versions of magic cards that could still come in booster packs and be distributed in the same way, um, but that were basically online, as it were. Um, it would be interesting if magic was, you have to have your c- cell phone or a device with you. It's the app that connects to your cards. Your cards are validated through that app. The ownership of those cards is validated through that app. Um, they can't be counterfeits because they're unique digital signature is registered with the app. Um, and likewise, if they were printed with digital ink, um, you could, in the same way that Hearthstone does, make changes to the format mid-stride. You could adjust the power level of Teferi after six weeks so that it was still a playable card, but um, uh, not as busted as it is. There's a tremendous amount of power that comes from being able to tweak cards without banning them. And I'm, I don't think we're going to see that anytime in the next five years, but I'm very curious to see what games like this that, that gain benefit from being social um, could, could gain from being physical slash digital instead of fully digital. And I think that Wizards probably suspect, thinks that the game is headed fully digital. I mean, that's kind of what, what they've signaled. Um, but I'm curious whether the board gaming industry as a whole will find innovative ways of exploring new territory. I am. I'm not sure that they want to move to all digital or at least um, having digital that required for the format. Uh, I kind of like that. It's not like, I think part of what makes magic fun and special and exciting, especially in context uh, with everything else out there is that like once it's printed, it exists like that's what the card is. It's a sort of permanency that we lack so much these days. Um, really, the only thing, el- the other, only other thing that's as permanent as you know, a magic card is the naked photos you took twenty years ago that you wish you hadn't 
that are still online, right? Like it's the only thing, <laughs> the, the only two things that don't change is a magic card and whatever photo you release into the ether. So with all of your other games being able to change and develop and mature and modify over time because of their digital components, magic not being able to do that is a unique space. So, I mean, I appreciate if not everyone wants that, you know, appreciates that, but I've always liked that aspect of it. There's a lot of weird, interesting things you could do, though, right? Like you could have micro economies where the the LGS is essentially selling you a mythic, but which mythic it is? Like you could you can basically have the same physical card, but it could become a different card. So like you could you can you can and you could manage that from your app, and the LGS gets their commission, like they still gets their buy list basically, but at a smaller percentage because hmm. there's less overhead, and and. Um, the tweaks can be made like automatically as patches that are downloaded through the app and you can trade with other players. Like your, your, you just like your trade binder is just a, a stack of, of cards. And you, if you want to trade a card to a card, you just tap them <laughs> and, and the image from your card transfers to theirs and vice versa. Some very fascinating things you could do once digital inking is, is, you know, fully played out into its like oh, no question form. about that for sure. Um, the way that it allows you to change the play space and the cards and and how all of that comes to, together would be remarkable, right? Like just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, if you could show me a demo of that tomorrow, I would probably be twice as excited about Magic as I am today. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's talk about let's swing back around. But the modern mocks that we saw uh, on eight twelve, so just a little over a week ago, um, very curious. This top this top sixteen, the top eight specifically has not one, not two, but three uh, hardened scales affinity decks. So you've got Arcbound Ravager, of course. Uh, you've got Worker, so you've got actual cards with. Um, wait, no, Arc. Modular. Modular. Well, yeah, that one doesn't have uh, <clears throat> affinity. I was going to see if they had a card that actually has affinity on it. I don't think they do. No. Uh, but it has it has the hardened scales, um, which, of course, it's, uh, you know, whenever you get a one on counter, you get another one. So and then it has Hangerback Walker. It has Walking Ballista are the two uh, more newer cards. Um, some Throne of Gath action in there, which is interesting. So some curious builds, but three of them is ridiculous. Uh, so certainly making me wonder about hardened scales at this point. I've got hardened scales foils from early on, and that's going to turn into one of those. I, I've already made money on it once, but only sold off half of them. I think I sent some in through buy lists that sold some on eBay the first time this deck like popped up on the radar, and then it receded and disappeared for a while. Now it seems to be back with a vengeance, and the, the question seems to be becoming whether this or classical affinity is, is a better deck. Um, I expect that the modern community will jostle over that for a while. But there's a bunch of interesting points here if this deck takes off. First of all, you've got the quad hanger backwalker, quad walking ballista that's also in that black red Vengevine deck. So if both of these decks are doing well, those cards, the foils of those cards are going to explode. Masterpieces of walking ballista, I think, are a definite hold. Uh, sorry, of uh, hanger backwalker are definite holds right now. There's way too much action on this card to be rushing to sell it. Um, the foils have already exploded lately, but I, I think there's probably more room to run. Um, Mox Opal is the centerpiece of so many different decks now that I think that it is that much less likely that it gets gets hit with a ban. Um, you would be injuring five decks now, like both versions of Affinity, KCI, um, 
uh, ensnaring bridge decks, and I'm probably forgetting something else like Tezzeret decks. I'm, I'm sure what, run it as well. So I, I think you know Mox Opal is probably the best mana producer in the format, but I, I think it's more likely that Ancient Stirrings in this deck gets the hit, um, which which would only affect like Tron plus this, right? Or is Ancient Stirrings also running a Stirring Bridge? Uh, that was running a Stirring Bridge, I think. If yeah. it wasn't, that might have been a change. That's in several strategies, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so maybe that's not not much better. But we got we already had a ban list announcement today. Nothing was on the ban list. So it seems like they're pretty happy with where Modern's at right now. I mean, there are obviously like caution signs all over the place in Modern. Ancient Stirrings, Mox Opal, you could argue the Tron lands are a caution sign. Um, you can argue that various pieces of the graveyard-based decks, whether it's the Vengevine version or the Black-Red version, um, uh, sorry, the Hollowed uh, one version, um, something could be targeted there at some point. But the format's still relatively diverse, and we're seeing all sorts of new stuff come to the forefront month after month. So I, I agree that you know this ban list, at least, they should just let things settle and see where, see, see where we end up. Um, there's a sparring construct in this deck. This is probably a card most people don't even know. Yeah, that's not one that <clears throat> I can tell you what it does off the top of my head. Some Dominaria, believe it or not. It's a 1 1 artifact creature that when it dies, you put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on target creature you control. So under, mm. a, har- under a hardened scales, it doubles up. Um, this is also the second deck in two different formats where Throne of Geth is suddenly relevant. So we had the bl- we had it as tech out of the sideboard against Chalices in the blue-black ba- Death Shadow Legacy decks. Now we're seeing Throne of Geth show up main deck as a two of in a in a modern moder- emerging modern deck that was three of the top eight <laughs> at the mocks. Um, talk about going from zero to sixty in a hurry. Yeah, that card has gotten wildly popular all of a sudden and i ha- i wonder how much of that is like people else you know the channel fire team channel fireball discovering that and then other people seeing it and go oh you know that might actually be useful in this other thing that i'm doing mm-hmm. um ink moth nexus that was uh, a recent uh tournament promo right um one wmcq i think right yeah so i think that probably want to have your eye on the supply of those and see where that's headed um, overall, I, I, I built various versions of this deck um, over the last few years. I was running one in uh, Frontier, believe it or not. <laughs> not that that matters. Um, but the Hardened Scales was underestimated completely at first. It's already posted up in EDH, uh, I think, because uh, Atraxa has various versions that are focused on counters-based strategies. I would guess it's in, yeah, it's almost 10,000 decks now um, on EDH rack. So between modern and, and EDH demand, you can expect that your hardened scales are going to hold value. Um, it's already, It was reprinted in a commander deck not too long ago. I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2017, um, but again, not as a foil. So we've still only got the original KTK, foil, KTK foils kind of card. They will definitely reprint in, in some set down the road, but you know, I would suspect that we have at least two or three more years before that's even remotely on the agenda. So these foils being already at 10, I think my original entry was three or four. Uh, I've got some Japanese foils I picked up at the same price. Um, the ramp is already pretty steep on TCG. I think you can get in on these near 10 and expect to get out closer to 20 and be very safe. Yeah, probably. I mean, supply is pretty low as it is. Uh, you know, I've got a good chunk of them sitting around too that I snagged. A little while ago, uh, also for relatively cheap, but I even at 
10 bucks there are still pretty appealing, right? Like it seems like there's, uh, you know, after these results, you could easily see them become a much more, much more larger component of modern than they are today. I think I would be willing to trade a revised Tundra at current market prices into foil noxious mm-hmm. gear hulks and foil hardened scales. It's kind of the case all the time, right? Like anytime you have a spec, like you should be willing to do that basically. I mean, well, that you're, you're saying that you think that the noxious gear Hulk and, uh, uh, hardened hardened scales. Scales have better out upside getting faster than Tundra, which I mean, it's hard to argue with that at the moment. Yeah, I, I think the revised the, the revised duels are going to take a breather. We're already seeing that. Um, yeah. Like Paul Fueda was com- complaining that his underpriced duels weren't moving at the one of the G- the GPs. So, um, and there's been whispers from other quarters. Like Monty made comments about that as well not so long ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that these EDH slash modern specs, like foils that are underprinted or in low supply, are are you know at the forefront of the optionality for MTG finance types right now. Yes, I agree. All right, so let's talk about this other deck I like. Yes. The, the Elsic Artifact combo deck from this weekend, which when I posted it last night, Cliff responded as though I was posting yet another KCI variant, when in fact, this has nothing to do with that deck. This is, uh, I don't know who the original player was. I see somebody went 5-0 and with this thing August 10th um, in a competitive modern league online. And Zach Elsick was running it to, I think, a, a positive record. I don't. He didn't top eight, and I'm not sure how far off he was at the event he was at this weekend. Um, but this thing runs four Memnite and four Ornithopter, so zero casting cost creatures. Four Scrap Trawler, the perpetrator of many artifact-related illnesses in modern right now. Four Sly Requisitioner, a card I guarantee everybody's going to have to look up. This is out of uh, Aether Revolt, I believe. Um, four and a black for a 2-2 human artificer. Right away, the kind of thing people would say would never see play in modern. It's got improvise, however, which means you get it into play for a lot less than that. I'm assuming it's like one black you're targeting to get this into play for. Yeah, whenever I a non- can't imagine you ever paying more for that. Whenever a non-token artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, create a 1-1 colorless servo artifact creature token. It runs three Whir of Invention, a Clause of Gex, four Mox Opal, there's that bad boy again, Four Chromatic Star, four, three Spring Leaf Drum, four Grinding Station, four Sword of the Meek, and four Thopter Foundry, hence your recommendation this week. And then in the lands, notably Polluted Delta and Spire of Industry um, as four ofs. Uh, and some pretty interesting sideboard cards too. Two Battle at the Bridge, two Damping Sphere, two Antiquities War, which is a card I have seen show up in main decks and sideboards in too many decks in Modern and Legacy to not be starting to look at the foils for. And in a Twitter, in a tweet last night, I called out um, foils of scrap trawler were of invention, sword of the meek and spire of industry is all legit targets, whether or not this deck ever gets there or stays on the fringes. um, All of those cards are already important in EDH. So having that dual format support seems critical. Yeah, this deck is really cool uh, that, you know, it makes better use of or gives us sort of the meek another vector, which is an interesting way to go with it because we haven't really seen that out of that card so far. It makes uh, good use of some cards that people hadn't really thought of so far. Like, for instance, the the five mana one whose name I don't recall. Um, that may also inspire people to look for other ways to build the deck, too. Um, and these types of builds are always start off without quite as much 
uh, I guess, depth to them. Um, or, you know, they might not, they haven't been through the ringer because there's really only one guy trying them out right now. Once you put this in the hand of a bunch of people and they spend some more time with it, they might really be able to, uh, find some better ways to go with it. Um, Perfect. I, I got to track. I need a YouTube. I need a YouTube video for this deck because I've figured out a couple of the combos, but I suspect I'm missing a whole bunch of action here. Um, I, I picked up like seven copy foil copies of Grinding Station for like eight, seven or eight bucks a piece last night. That seems rock solid. That's a fifth dawn uncommon foil that's never been. Reprinted. Yeah, that card is old. It's hack. The real. It's a shame that the fifth dawn foils are so bad. <laughs> it's my only concern there. Um. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it matters. Nobody can tell how good foils are online anyway. I don't think that's ever stopped a card from selling. No, and I don't disagree with you. It's more just like that. It's just a shame that they don't look good. For personal. You know? For personal use. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot here. I mean, right, you've got <clears throat> Word of Invention. You've got uh, Grinding Station, Sword of the Meek, Thopter Foundry. Um, probably, you know, the lands, possibly the Spire of Industry, like you said. There's a lot of ways to go with this. And who knows what people are going to figure out uh, over the next week or two, what the deck might be missing. Yeah, this one is 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 pretty cray cray. I think that Elsick said that he barely lost a bunch of matches. Like he had like his his win in hand and loss on turn three kind mm -hmm. of thing um, in a format that, you know, where this deck is not going to be the only thing that can put you away early. But, you know, I, again, the, the cards in question that are likely to be good here are good elsewhere and that. That is, and are already in low supply, even though some of these were not so long ago printed. Like, I don't love this Sly Requisitioner because that's pretty narrow, but the Whir of Invention and the Spire Ministry have already made people money that were in on them early. And Sword of the Meek is just, has never been reprinted in foil, so excellent pick from you there. And then the Scrap Trawler has, you know, both the pre-release pre-release promos and i think it was a buyback box promo but the art is superior on the pack foils so those have drained first which mm -hmm. makes sense the war of inventions curious because that could that we i feel like you could see a day where that card is like we can't believe that you know it was ever printed or that it was fair type of thing yeah i mean this is it's basically quarter calling for artifacts right and it's actually yeah. easier to to uh improvise with artifacts than it is to do the same thing with creatures it's already in five thousand plus decks on edh rack so Happy to throw some money at it. Man, those are some awful people playing that in EDH. <laughs> all right. So that's uh, that's pretty much uh, all the deck stuff and the metagame stuff we wanted to look at this week. We got a whole bunch of bonus specs for you guys. Um, so enjoy running around tracking those down. Yeah, um, topic of the week, we're going to just delve just ever so quickly into counterfeits since it has been the topic du jour on social media for Magic players. Yeah. Um... What do you? What triggered this discussion? Do you know? Was oh, you know, it was that player at the. So one of the players at a GP got deck checked, and ended up getting Jessup. a game loss. Jessup because Jessup. his yeah, because he had a, a legal card in his deck, and people are like, how you know was this a fair ruling? He had no idea it was counterfeit. Uh, you know, he just bought it on TCG Player or whatever. Maybe it was Star City. Uh, shows up to the event. Throws him in some sleeves and starts playing, and now he gets a game loss because of this. So, uh, questions of whether you know that's a fair ruling aside or not, uh, it is a possibility that you know it's something we're going to have to deal with, um, and it's got people worried about counterfeits again. And you know, is a if a, if a pro player can't tell the difference, is that is that a reason to be concerned? Um, which is a fair question as well, right? So, I guess there's a couple of things going on there. A, um, the counterfeits now come with the hologram. And the hologram is relatively shoddy, so it's one of the, the first things you should be comparing to. 
Um, to my knowledge, the, the counterfeits do not include foils. So that's an underpinning for all the foil targeting we tell people to do. Um, it's <laughs> important for everybody. Pros, pros are going to love since they all hate uh, foils. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it definitely creates a conflict at comp REL because um, at rules enforcement for competitive players, because <laughs> running anything short of a full foil deck is, you know, grounds for losing a game or a match or getting kicked out of a tournament. So don't want to be doing that. You're gonna, they're going to have to bring two decks to the event. They're going to bring their all foil one. That's all real legal cards. And then their second deck of all proxies that they'll play instead. <laughs> well, I mean, you only need proxies if your deck is only partially foiled, right? That's the issue with Nexus of Fate. It's not getting replaced because it's a foil. It's getting replaced because you can pick foils out of a deck of everything where everything else is non-foils because of the slight bend. Uh, I mean, you uh, might be able to point out that some lay flatter than other. Like once you've introduced that amount, that that difference, that they're not all going to be uniform, which is at least would at least have to get discussed. But yeah, it's neither here. So my point is that there's a couple of factors coming together here. A saffron highlighted that he had found a community of counterfeit supporters online and that that brought the issue to the forefront b the latest wave of counterfeits is better than previous and includes the hologram um c important to keep in mind that this is still a tiny tiny fraction of supply out there i don't think you generally need to be worried about every card you're buying or ordering but you know, definitely be a little more vigilant. Be be prepared. You're going to be in a safer position if you have cards on hand to compare to something that you're you're purchasing. Um, super old, weird cards probably aren't going to be included here. Like the counterfeiters tend to focus on on stuff that's relatively high demand, but their their scope is widening as well. Um, I also question whether Jessup didn't know. I think I think the story is that three of the four were fake and only one of them was real. And they were talking about Cavern of Souls. Um, and it's entirely possible you could order them online, rush them into sleeves and not notice. That's totally believable. It's also completely possible that he knew exactly what he was doing because he wasn't sure if he was committed to the deck and, and he just decided to run, roll with it and hope he didn't get busted and boom, he got busted. We don't know because we don't have the facts. I'm actually more interested in the economic side uh, of counterfeits. I think the moral side is actually relatively unambiguous, um, Wizards of the Coast owns the internet intellectual property <laughs> surrounding Magic the Gathering. It is at their discretion that any of us are allowed to make use of it um, through the process of purchasing cards, either on the primary or secondary market. Um, if you want to play with proxies, you should buy obvious proxies and or just write cards or print them on a printer and slap them into some sleeves to play at your kitchen table and go feel free to do that. But don't show up at a real event run by Wizards or their affiliates and expect to get away with running fake cards. I mean, their entire business is based on a specific economic model. If you don't want to participate, you can either opt out of the competitive sphere or you can opt to play another game or you can seek to increase your resources. But stealing the IP is not a route anybody should want to go down if they've really thought it through. Yeah, and I want to stress here that I, you know, I wrote an article uh, several years ago about how, you know, proxies and counterfeit cards are sort of two sides of the same coin. They're not fundamentally different. Uh, and really, the only difference is intention, because if you have a proxy or a counterfeit, if you have anything in place of the real card, it is essentially in lieu of having purchased it. Um, so, you know, putting a proxy Gaius Cradle in your commander deck, that's very clearly a proxy that you're not trying to pass off as real. Um, it's still, you know, it is still a Gaius Cradle that you didn't buy from your local store that's still 
sitting in their case. And if your friends see you playing with that, then then they might be like, oh, you know, I'm getting kind of tired. You know, I, I'm not playing with Gaia's Cradle because I don't own one. But if Mark is going to show up every week with his proxy one, uh, then I guess I should just proxy it, whatever. Or like maybe I'm going to maybe I already own the Gaia's Cradle, but I'm not going to buy the next expensive card because I know nobody else will. I'll just proxy it. So you can see, you know, th- there's some some uh, some tension there in the same way that you get with counterfeits. But I just want to stress that like. Don't buy counterfeits. They're awful. Like and there's no there's no way that you can justify this as it being just a type of proxy. Like that's just not going to fly. Yeah. And um, and- it's it, because the, and really the, the real reason here is that if you, if you're getting proxies, whether, and when I say proxy, I mean a card that is in no way, shape or form intentionally uh, designed to replace a magic card, right? Like it does not look like one. You're not trying to pass it off as one. The back might be different. Like there's no question. Um, oh shoot. I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think what you're getting at is that the a, a proxy is not meant to fool anybody. And a counterfeit card is meant to deceive and to reduce the cost of the game in disregard to the way the economics were structured. What I'm arguing is that the economics of magic are apparent. They're on the table. You can take them or leave them. On a format-by-format, deck-by-deck, card-by-card basis, you have to decide the relative utility of each of those things, those experiences for you, and decide whether you want to pay the price. There is no inherent right to play all forms of magic at all times to have access to any deck at the price you want to pay. That is not how any version of economics works, even in a a highly socialist society, and this is a Canadian commenting, um, you can never, you'll never be able to get away with um, everyone being able to set the price for their own experience and enforce it on the owner of intellectual property. If you ever want to support science and technology, creativity, um, any of the disciplines that make, that drive human society forward, you, you have to be willing to defend intellectual property to allow things to evolve and unfold in a natural method. And that means that some things are going to be more expensive than you can afford. And you you just have to accept that. There are so many other options. And this is the thing that always drives me crazy, is that not only are there so many options inside magic, because it's more of a platform than a singular game, um, so many different ways to approach it from popper on out. Um, but if you don't like the economics of magic, you can just opt out and play something else. I mean, Epic, the card game, is an excellent take on magic that is dirt cheap and has super high replayability. My friends love that game. It's um, amazing. I, I think what I, was trying, what I was trying to say is I'm not a cop. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that you can't play with anything other than brand name, authentic wizards cards. Like if you want to proxy stuff, go for it. You know, it's not my job to tell you that you shouldn't. Uh, and I understand the idea, but like counterfeits are drawing a whole separate line that uh is caustic and toxic for the game and i know that there were some people on twitter who have a lot of followers today who were talking about going out and buying counterfeits uh because they're just they think magic is too expensive and it's like i use all the proxies you want but do not go down that road that is a road that uh ends poorly for all involved well i mean let's one of the things that's not fully explored often is what would happen if if counterfeits became very pervasive let's say that they were suddenly 10% of all standard cards like in any given tournament you could 
the judges are running hither and thither trying to identify cards and people are getting kicked out of tournaments left and right. Um, first of all, it's going to increase the cost of running events because there's going to be more overhead involved. Um, people getting kicked out of events is going to make events smaller over time. It's going to drive a rift because people never like to admit their own mistakes. So if they get busted, they're going to use it. They're going to be like, F wizards instead of I effed up and I should go buy some real cards. That you know, People t- tend to double down on their own bad decisions. Um, wizards will also... Put more ty- be forced to put more resources into trying to combat the um, genesis of the counterfeits in Asia, which is where they're coming from, um, and you know that that cost will get passed on to players. So if your whole thing is like I'm going to get this hundred dollar, I'm going to get a scalding turn for five bucks instead of a, instead of eighty, but your commander decks are going to end up being five bucks more per deck like every product you buy is going to get a little more expensive over time as as they're forced their profits are eroded and they're forced to hand that off to the players then unless you you know choose to go completely rogue and build your own sets print your own sets create your own formats which i actually think is a more legitimate avenue (laughs) than just buying counterfeits like i'm actually surprised we've talked about this before about how i'm surprised that players have never taken it upon themselves to try to to just completely go rogue and start building their own versions of the game especially given what other fan communities do to create fan content um you know the, the game will get more expensive as a whole um the value of your your existing collection, the parts that you didn't buy counterfeit are going to be called into question. Less people are going to be willing to do deals with you. The overhead at stores that are taking things in a buy list where they have to double check the veracity of every card that comes through their doors is going to reduce the values that are offered on buy lists. It might narrow the range of cards they're willing to look at. There are so many different um, angles of impact that if you you know have a $10,000 magic collection and you're thinking about buying $300 worth of counterfeits, you're going to do far more damage to your collection than you are going to improve your overall magic experience by contributing to the counterfeiter counterfeiters coffers. Yeah, it's, it, it adds up and uh, it's very easy to go. Well, having this, you know, buying this counterfeit cards doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, you know, it's not changing the amount of money I'm spending on magic. Uh, I wasn't going to buy those expensive cards in the first place. Uh, so it's not a problem if I buy the, these counterfeits. But one of the things I saw on Twitter today was somebody saying, oh, hey, you know, I can buy. Um, I'm not going to spend this money on magic anyway, so I don't have to feel bad about buying counterfeits. And it's like, meanwhile, they're saying they're talking about like being concerned that counterfeits are getting better and better. And that will be a real problem. It's like, well, how do you think they're getting better? It's because people keep giving them money. The more money you channel into these people, uh, the more effort and the work they're able to put into improving the quality of them. So if everyone stops buying counterfeits, it would dramatically slow down the rate of adoption and might even push them into other arenas because uh, they might just find better use for that, you know, industrial level printing hardware elsewhere uh, if they weren't making any money off the magic singles. So as long as people are paying money for counterfeits, uh, then you're you're only making it worse and hastening the issue. Uh, and they're really uh, accessible, by the way. Like um, I've been poking around AliExpress lately, just kind of looking for fun stuff. And I was curious. So I kind of wandered over into the board game section to see what was there. And I kept finding listings for counterfeit magic cards and AliExpress, by the way, is bigger than Amazon. Like it's humongous. So, uh, there is, 
they're right there. They are not hard to find whatsoever. Um, nope. Very easy. And and the way I researched this like four years ago or something, and was writing an article about it, and the solicitations are very simple. Like you basically the the listings on those sites basically just say it's going to like, here's a list of cards we currently have available. And at the time it was mostly modern staples like uh, Feshlands and Mox Opals and stuff like that. And they had a flat fee per card of like a couple of dollars and you would get them in like a hundred card lots or something. The solicitation is they send you, you send them a contact, they send you an email with a, a definitive offer. You can haggle or not. You send them money via PayPal and you know, you get a package 30 days later or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not it's not terribly complicated. It's easy to do, but it's 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 uh it's not doing you any favors, right? Like it's it's going to destroy I don't know, I feel like this article's been written so many times. Like <laughs> like I'm just tired of telling people to stop buying counterfeits. And if it's like ridiculous because why do we have to? Like why why do people just not get that this is terrible for magic? I- at the core of this is the same source of all the arguments about reprints, which is entitlement. It It is about players feeling like all magic experiences should be the, either the same price or a specific price that works for them. <laughs> they want $50 decks. They want $100 decks. They think 250 is the right number. And every time I get into a discussion with somebody on this topic, reprints or counterfeits on Twitter, it always they always get hit, they end up hitting a logical brick wall. When you challenge them to say, what is the right price for a card and or deck in the format in question? Because to 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 claim that there is a correct number ignores everything we know about modern economics, which by but which is at least half witchcraft as much as it is science, but is certainly much further along than the 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 logical fallacies that are underpinning most of the feelings of play, you know this player base and other player bases. You see this in the digital in the video gaming world as as well, right? Everybody seems to think that everything should be free or extremely accessible at all times. The people creating intellectual property have a right to dictate the price they want to get for that experience. That experience competes against other experiences in the marketplace. And so one of the, the points that you know is worth slapping on the table hard when people are making these arguments is that magic has survived 25 years with this economic model. It, it's barely varied in, in a quarter century. And they are a multi-hundred million dollar brand. So there, of course, at all times are going to be some players locked out of various cards, various decks, various formats, but they can do other things still within the same hobby. And they have so many other options in the marketplace to do, you know, play completely different games, play sports, go out and enjoy the world. You, you are never forced to purchase these things. They are not water or air. And so, you know, you got to make your call. If, if, moder- if you decide that a $1,500 modern deck is too expensive for you, surprise, there are $500 to $750 decks out there. Are they the most competitive? No, but you're probably not the best player. <laughs> the, the, only the best player needs the best deck. Um, you know, the the other 29 people at a 30-person FNM never had any chance of getting to the Pro Tour, so they should just focus on playing the deck that like allows them to have the most fun. And I think this is one of the, the things that Magic players would most benefit from um, embracing is this concept of Magic as as an avenue for fun, not as an avenue for you know, trying to spike every event that they, they participate. I, in. I think that uh, trying to solve, trying to win that argument logically, 
uh, is understandable, but I guess ultimately we're never going to because people who have already decided that buying counterfeit cards is an appropriate pathway once they've decided that uh, real magic is too expensive is already kind of, we've already lost them there, right? Like you're just not getting them back. So I, I, I don't know what tact you take um, because they just, they don't care that it's not logical. Uh, maybe you're supposed to appeal to the emotional, like you you know, you're, you're the game will cease to exist. If you do this, you know, don't you want magic to continue? Maybe you get further with that. I'm not clear. I mean, here's the thing. I don't even think this is a big issue. Not yet. This is this is a battleground worth worth attending early, which I think is what is going on. Like the people that have have put the requisite amount of thought and consideration into this know it would be terrible. So before it becomes a major issue, everybody is trying to raise the flag. But the reality is this is not a major issue yet. And there are several stages of evolution of this issue before it becomes a major issue. And I guarantee you, Wizards will be all over it. They, they are not interested in this becoming big enough to impact the bottom line. No, and uh, who knows? You know, it probably hasn't yet, but it could soon. Right? I, I don't think that there's a, that, that the percentage of the player base that is willing to buy counterfeits and play them at comp tournaments is really actually all that large. Because you are... That anyone who's serious about their career in Magic has to at least consider that they may get a lifetime ban from that kind of behavior. And Jessup is now, you know, you know, in the on the hot seat as a potential cheater, right? Like he can deny it all he wants, but now there's a cloud of suspicion that will hang over him. And if he was ever to be eligible for the Hall of Fame down the road or whatever, then he's going to endure the same things that all the other people with slightly shady pass had to well, endure. Well, I don't even Twitter. know if playing so, with counterfeit cards would carry that sort of stigma. I, I, I genuinely I, don't think that if you were talking about like, is this person a cheater or Hall of Fame, whatever, that they used counterfeit cards would be held in the same, uh, the same tier as you know, try the slow play type of stuff. Uh, Some players, but I don't think universally it would be regarded the same way. Uh, more, more importantly, perhaps it will wizards. If it becomes the point where wizards feels like they need to make a strong statement on it, they it will it will instantly well, carry a lifetime sure. ban. Wizards. That's the thing is the the court of public opinion versus what people are doing. You know what the players think of somebody else uh, are two different things. So I mean, really, because sure. you we see it go the other way. Uh, wizards cares about cheating less than the, the community does. You know, Alex Bertoncini is all over my Twitter timeline because he top eight an event and everyone is like, why are you letting this person play magic? Uh, and Wizards isn't willing to go any further on that topic. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, I see that that I um, mean, this is a whole different rabbit hole, but this is more like, is there a pedophile in my neighborhood? And how did the and how did the powers that be allow that to happen? Like there, there's a specific set of of policies, circumstances, laws that result in certain things unfolding in a certain way. And the powers that be are often loath to step outside of the model they've already constructed. And so things unfold in a way that communities are not comfortable with. And I think that that, that, that is not uncommon in the legal world versus, you know, how people feel about things. Um, like, I think that that player and others who have been, you know, pointed at as cheaters are going to be on so much scrutiny moving under so much scrutiny moving forward that it's going to be very difficult for them to maneuver um, 
But, you know, some of them are probably just sociopaths that can't help themselves. <laughs> there, there are some personalities that have trouble differentiating between what is right and wrong. As I only bring it up to indicate that there's already clearly a difference in perception of one type of cheating between player, the community and Wizards. Wizards has an opinion of cheating sure. that clearly uh, does not match the fervor that the community feels. And you could see it go the other way with counterfeits where Wizards really hates it. But the average player is like, yeah, yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. But like, it's not as bad as cheating. Like, I am, I'm less upset if the guy is playing with counterfeits than if he is uh, trying to draw extra cards against me type of thing. Right or wrong, is I'm not here to make that argument. Yeah. I'm just saying I can imagine that being the discussion. All right. Well, I think that's everything for this week, folks. Where can people find you uh, online, Travis? Uh, I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write the uh, Watchtower series on MTG Price every Monday. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my uh, not-so-weekly articles, but I am about to switch back into writing mode, so you can expect some uh, buy list reporting from me shortly on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 132. I thought we had a great discussion today. Uh, Don't buy counterfeits. They're bad for the game. And uh, I will see you next week, James. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.